Hey, it's Juliana. You're listening to Inherited. Today, we're picking up where we left off. Last week, we heard the story of Jenna, a young person whose hometown was devastated by Hurricane Sandy back in 2012. She and her neighbors experienced the horrifying physical effects of climate change in their backyards, and their front yards, and their basements. The hurricane changed Jenna's life and its direction. See, Jenna was a teenager when Sandy hit, and for her, the experience was a wake-up call. It taught her that storms were growing stronger and that life doesn't ever go back to normal after a climate disaster. But for some of her neighbors who experienced the same storm, even considering that something like Sandy, or worse, could happen to them again, it was too overwhelming to process. In this community, there's a general awareness of what happened after Hurricane Sandy, but I also think that there's kind of a denial that it could happen again. I think people are terrified. When people are really, really scared, it's immobilizing. Jenna was fascinated by how differently people processed the same storm. So fascinated, she became driven to study the psychological effects of climate change. Now, at 23, Jenna works at a climate psychology lab at Baruch College in New York. There, she researches how people like her and her neighbors grapple with the mental toll of the climate crisis. And not only does she research climate change, she's now a climate activist with groups like Sane Energy and the Sunrise Movement. Instead of giving in to her fear, Jenna is choosing to forge a new path. But educating people about the climate crisis isn't easy. On the contrary, it's so challenging for humans to wrap their minds around climate change. Often we prefer to shut off these big abstract thoughts about nature and capitalism and so on, instead focusing on challenges that might feel more manageable. This is why some people brush climate off as a future problem. And I don't blame folks who do this. Sometimes I even do this. This crisis is a painful thing to contemplate. My chest tightens just talking about it. But for people in my generation, being able to talk about climate change isn't really negotiable anymore. We are running out of time. We're feeling the urgency. And we can't shut up about it. My dad always makes a joke like, Jenna, if you keep talking about climate change, people are going to stop inviting you to parties. There's this idea that people don't want to talk about climate change, that people don't want to talk about things that are difficult to talk about. I can relate to this. One time in college, I got into a conversation in the stairwell at a party that ended with me sobbing about how Trump pulled out of the Paris Agreement. Safe to say, I wasn't invited back. Of course, there is a difference between people who have never experienced the direct effects of climate change and those who have, but are still in denial. Either way, these feelings are a normal response to what we're facing. Pushing the subject away doesn't fix anything. In fact, the act of pushing the topic away is in itself an effect of climate change. When you're afraid of something, when you have all of these negative emotions towards something, it's hard to deal with the problem. It's hard to think about it. It's hard to talk about it. And that's the subject of today's episode. It's the mental burden of the climate crisis. Because what we're experiencing is psychological as much as it is meteorological. We need to talk about what we're feeling. This is episode three of Inherited, The Party Poopers. The future of America is in your hands. This is not a movie trailer, and it's not a political ad. 
but it is a call to action. I'm Mila Atmos, and I'm passionate about unlocking the power of everyday citizens. On our podcast, Future Hindsight, we take big ideas about civic life and democracy and turn them into action items for you and me. Every Thursday, we talk to bold activists and civic innovators to help you understand your power and your power to change the status quo. Find us at futurehindsight.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. While change may not happen overnight, the movement for a more just society is gaining momentum. Tune in to Crooked Media's Pod Save the People, where every week you can learn about the stories that are impacting communities of color from people of color. With hosts DeRay McKesson, Kaya Henderson, Miles Johnson, and Diara Ballinger, Pod Save the People gives an exciting blend of politics, culture, and social issues all in one place. From book censorship to discussing Beyonce's impact on society. Tune in to Pod Save the People every Wednesday on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, it's me, Georgia. As if it weren't already enough to battle a global existential crisis, youth climate activists also have to deal with another frustrating obstacle, adult opinions. Turns out some grown-ups have a lot of advice to give about how to be a young person, whether or not we want to hear it. Most of it boils down to two main talking points. If you listen to our previous episodes, you're already familiar with the first one. It tends to happen when we young people talk about climate problems, yelling ourselves hoarse with demands for a livable future. This is talking point number one. Relax. At 7.22 a.m., he wrote, So ridiculous. Greta must work on her anger management problem, then go to a good old-fashioned movie with a friend. Chill, Greta, chill. That was Jimmy Kimmel quoting a tweet from the current president. I know, I know, sorry to even bring him up. But his tweet really did say what a lot of older people think, that we're overreacting. I don't know about you, but nothing makes me want to chill less than someone telling me to chill. It's so patronizing. But okay, let's say we, as climate-anxious young people, actually do take the advice here. We say, all right, we'll chill, we'll be more optimistic. How about we turn all of our overwhelming existential angst into some creative solutions to the climate crisis? Nope. It just leads to talking point number two. Leave it to the grown-ups. Like Senator Dianne Feinstein, I guess? By the people and all you know for what's the interesting about this group? Is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. I hear what you're saying, but we're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your job. How old are you? How old I'm 16. Are you? I can't well, you didn't vote. vote for me. Yikes. Honestly, this tension between being too apocalyptic and too idealistic feels like an impossible one to resolve. It's immobilizing and isolating. It's one of the biggest reasons I got involved in this movement and made this podcast. I mean, how is it even possible to face down this huge existential inevitable crisis, especially when so many people, frequently those older than you, tell you you're overreacting? That you're hysterically screaming that the sky is falling when all they can see is bright blue above their heads. It can feel so lonely. Yeah, there was no no hiding at that point that I was, like, feeling lonely. This is Rachel, a sunriser from Rhode Island. Last year, she was feeling deeply lonely and paralyzed by climate anxiety. It was really affecting her mental health. A lot of people, just in our age group, deal with mental illness. And sometimes mental illness can be isolating. 
that causes like the loneliness problem because like not only do people feel lonely they also feel like they're the only one and that it's all them but like if so many people are feeling lonely then it's probably not you it's probably the society you live in in september 2019 there were massive climate strikes globally they were all over the media that's when rachel heard about sunrise joined a local hub there she found community people to talk with about her climate anxiety. And many of her new friends felt the same way. They weren't just fighting for Rhode Island homes, like mine in Jamestown. They weren't just fighting for the fishermen in Narragansett Bay, whose fish are heading further north as the waters warm. They were going to bat for every home, every fisherman, every town in this country and worldwide. That's a lot to fight for. You might have heard this rallying cry. Climate change is a man-made problem with a feminist solution. Good, right? It's the action-inspired call of Mothers of Invention, a climate justice podcast like you've never heard before. Join former Irish President Mary Robinson, comedian Maeve Higgins, and series producer Thamali Kaudikara as they celebrate Black, Brown, and Indigenous leaders all over the world fighting from the front lines. I, for one, absolutely loved listening to one of Mothers of Invention's most recent episodes, The Very Nature of Ownership, which examines alternatives to extractive capitalism. What a feat to seamlessly meld humor, boundary-pushing ideas, and climate justice. I didn't realize it could be done, but it can be. And Mothers of Invention does it so well. For smart laughs, climate knowledge, and new ideas, go listen to Mothers of Invention wherever you find your podcasts. Before we get back to Inherited, we want to tell you about another show for young listeners we think you'll really love. From YR Media and PRX's Radiotopia, Adultish is a mix of storytelling and hilarious, no-filter advice with guests like author Adrian Marie Brown, singer JoJo, and comedian W. Kamau Bell. And as it so happens, our very own Georgia is also a producer for the show. Honestly, I've been having a blast working on Adultish this season. Easily my favorite part has been collaborating with the hosts, who are fellow 20-somethings, Nige Turner and Merck Nguyen, and they are truly delightful, extremely smart and funny human beings. They break down topics like imposter syndrome, the election, and the importance of setting boundaries, something we should all be doing. Plus, if you listen, who knows, you might hear me chiming in too. Check it out at adultishpodcast.com. I think what a lot of youth organizers are doing right now is saying not in anyone's backyard and we will fight for it because it is someone's home. And these issues are affecting people and will continue to affect people after we're gone. This is Zanaji, one of the founders of Zero Hour, a youth climate group that, like Sunrise from the first episode, has climate justice at its core. As someone who's going to be living here, um, I have a responsibility to fight for this place, um, even if it is only home for a short amount of time, because there will be people who come after me that might face the same injustice if I do nothing now. For Zanaji, a key part of the movement is the fight for everyone's homes, not just his own. He says it's empathy, this not-in-anyone's-backyard mentality that brings so many people into the movement, that gives everyone something to fight for. And it gives him hope. Here's Rachel again. Empathy is one thing that 
kind of brings us all together because not everybody's house is on fire, but we know that people are experiencing this and empathy is abundant in the climate movement. Our generation carries the pressure of knowing that in our lifetimes, even if we take immediate action, everything we know will radically change. And that is an enormous weight to bear. But for many, like Rachel, being part of a community of action-oriented young people spreads out this burden a bit. So we've established that the youth climate movement shares a collective sense of pain and responsibility. But meanwhile, media coverage loves to task one particular climate activist with saving the world single-handedly. She's a certain charmingly frank, braid-sporting, baby-faced Swedish climate prophet. You know the one. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. How dare you? In late 2019, The New Yorker published a cartoon of Greta Thunberg, where she's literally carrying the world on her shoulders. The caption, cartoon Greta says, is, quote, somebody's got to do it. The cartoon makes it seem like the whole of the climate crisis is up to a single 17-year-old. How could we ask so much of one child? The answer is, we can't. Not only is it unfair to Greta, it's unfair to the whole climate movement. There are tons of young people fighting today, and many who have fought before, and we all feel the same terrifying weight. Yet for some in the media, the name Greta Thunberg has become shorthand for any climate activist, regardless of age, race, nationality, gender. And this ignores the fact that there's a rapidly growing movement of young people all in the same fight, like Gia Bastida. In the U.S., there's a lot of youth-led climate organizations. So we have Zero Hour, we have Extinction Rebellion, we have Sunrise Movement, Fridays for Future, U.S. Climate Strike, International Indigenous Youth Council, Earth Guardians. I could go on forever, right? But that's the point. At just 18 years of age, Gia is a climate superstar. She's spoken at UN conferences, has features in Teen Vogue and PBS. But if you haven't heard of her before, maybe it's because she isn't always referred to by her actual name. One of the headlines one time was, Gia Bastida, the Greta Thunberg of the Bronx. I've been to the Bronx two times. So I emailed them and I said, I am actually not from the Bronx. I am not even from the US, I'm from Mexico. So they changed it to the Greta Thunberg of New York. Don't get me wrong. Here at Inherited, we love Greta Thunberg. And GA loves Greta too. When Greta arrived in New York after her transatlantic trip last fall, GA was at the dock to greet her. So GA wants to be completely clear, this isn't Greta's fault, of course. It's those in the media who are forcing a particular narrative. I've spent time with her. We've had several events together. She's the most sweet, humble girl in the world, right? It's not like she's even asking for this attention. And the fact that the media is doing this to us, because they're not doing it. They're doing it to her, but they're also doing it to us. And they're doing it to the narrative. There is this single story of what a climate activist should be, strives to be, We don't all have to be Greta Thunberg. We're not all Greta Thunberg. We're all different. We all have our own stories. We all have our own experiences. We cannot fall into the same trap of giving the youth climate movement one or two voices. GA is part of a long tradition of indigenous climate activists worldwide, some of whom have been active for decades. 
Indigenous knowledge is an enormous asset in combating climate change, and these communities have been at the forefront of the fight. Many have also been among the first to feel the effects of the climate crisis. My town in 2015 in Mexico, because I was born and raised in Mexico, was flooded. And that was the first time in which I saw the disproportionate effects that the climate crisis can have, because it's inherently unfair. And I think that the reason why it resonates a lot with me is because I feel like I'm on all of the sides of the unfairness of it. So, for example, I am Otomi, which is an indigenous group in Mexico. And for indigenous people, when natural disasters come or when there's pollution in their communities, who gets displaced in order to build fossil fuel infrastructure in the first place? Jie, like all the storytellers in this podcast, came to the youth climate movement out of concern for her community and for everyone else's. But climate activism was also in her blood. My parents met at the first Earth Summit in 1992. Then they met again in another climate summit. And then again in another climate. And they finally got married. My parents never told me, you have to do the work we're doing. But what other work are you going to do? Personally, because I was raised with this philosophy of we take care of the Earth, I've always felt this way. I've always felt this connection. I know that in this room that I'm in right now, everything came from the earth. So you can appreciate earth everywhere you are. This book came from the earth. My pants came from the earth, right? So you can feel that connection all the time. My generation is already being affected. We might not have the same future that my parents did, but I can still see beauty. I can still see nature. I can still feel it. And I don't know if my kids are going to be able to feel those things. The psychological effects of the climate crisis run deep. Jia is only 18, and she's already asking a massive question. Will my children be able to experience this world and not just fear it? Will I even want to bring children into a world that looks like this? Jia does what she does, giving international speeches, rallying crowds, and fighting hard for a brighter tomorrow because... The climate crisis is something that has affected me in the past, in the present, and in the future. Simply being aware of the climate crisis can sometimes feel like watching a massive gray storm cloud approaching, very slowly, on the horizon. You realize, with horror, that everyone's going to need shelter if they want to survive, and they have to find it fast. If we don't meet the deadline, our lives actually change for the worse everywhere, and we are going to have mass migration and mass extinction of species. It's just a bleak future. It's like we're in a perpetual night before the storm. The sirens are blaring, the winds are picking up. At first, you're the only one who sees this ominous cloud approaching. You point it out to others, but they shrug it off. Some ignore it completely. Others say, eh, I'll be dead before it gets here. But if you want to fight it, knock yourself out. Still more, those who have been gifted really secure stormproof houses, they just don't really care. They think they'll be safe, even though they also know that their neighbors and flimsy tents down the street won't be. Moreover, they really, really don't want to talk about it. What I'm seeing is a lot of people, mainly adults, who look at the climate crisis and they turn up a switch. They can talk about it for 10 minutes, 20 minutes. They turn off the switch and then it's like they never heard of it. And so that worries me because I live in constant 
knowledge of what's going on and I make all of my decisions based on my knowledge. So climate activism is not a hobby for me, it's my way of living. Obviously, this storm is a metaphor, but sometimes the stress we experience from the climate crisis can become all too real. Anxiety is not just a mental experience, it can also be a physical one. I was sitting in my history classroom and somebody mentioned Trump rolling back environmental regulations and I just dropped on the floor. Like my heart got so contracted, I started crying because it hurt so much. This wasn't the only time GA has experienced stress-related health problems. I've dealt with them, too. During our interview, Jie and I realized we had both needed medical care on the exact same day back in February for the exact same reason. I ended up that same night in the ER because I was having, fortunately, I know they're now benign, but I was having heart palpitations. Me um, too. Yeah. Same oh thing. God. Yeah. That is so crazy. Yeah. Doctors told each of us that we were experiencing benign spasms or heart contractions brought on by stress. I'd almost fainted on the subway when mine first started. In my tweet, I said chest pain because I didn't want people to get worried about my heart. But I had I felt it here in my heart, right? And I told my friend who was also in Fridays for Future, and he said, I had the same thing. Honestly, I think that it's because we're trying to stretch ourselves really thin. Being a climate activist, being even just a climate-aware young person, it can feel really, really hard. I think something GA and I have in common something a lot of people have in common is that even though we know it's futile, we feel an ambitious personal responsibility to fix this systemic problem. And that's because this is the message that people in power send us. They tell us that individual action is all we have control over. If we eat less meat, use paper straws, recycle, buy organic, whatever, then we can fix this. And if we don't, then it's our personal moral failing. Here's Rachel again. I just had so much guilt for doing anything was it like driving my car or just like buying something with plastic wrapping I felt personally responsible for the climate crisis but we aren't the ones to blame it's the people who are making billions of dollars off of these fossil fuels and are making us feel like we're responsible those billionaires are lying No one individual is responsible for this, especially not young people. It's our culture that is extractive and polluting, the society and economy we were born into. And in power at the top is a relatively small group of people whose financial interest is to preserve the way things are. They lose money if we change our way of life, and they don't feel the immediate effects of their actions. So the people who are feeling the most effects of the climate crisis are those who have done the least to cause it. A major 2017 report exposed that just 100 companies worldwide are responsible for over 70% of greenhouse gas emissions. I think it helped me because it, it kind of like took the blame off of my shoulders and kind of put some hope underneath my wings, I guess. It's a very small amount of people who are making this much money and who are perpetuating climate change. So that means that we're the majority if a handful of people can affect so many lives and like what could thousands or millions of people fighting for justice do? 
Greta or Xie or I or anyone else alone aren't going to be able to right the wrongs of big oil executives. We have to take collective action, elect people into office who will take down these climate villains, strike and protest and boycott. And in this process, we have to take care of each other, find joy and happiness and togetherness along the way. Because together is the only way out of this. And it's also the only way through. One of the most important things that I have to constantly remind myself is that we are in a climate crisis, but we cannot live on a state of crisis. Because if we li like go through our days with worry, with, you know, with hopelessness, we're not going to be able to get anything done. And so the way in which I feel better is when I finish typing up today's agenda for the meeting or when I actually go out on Fridays and strike, when I know that there's hundreds of other kids organizing with me. All those actions and things give me hope and make me think I am not doing this because I feel sad, but I'm doing this because I feel optimistic about the future that we can accomplish together. Because, Jie realizes, and at some point Jenna has realized, and Greta has realized, and Zanaji and Rachel and me and Juliana have realized that I cannot solve the world by myself. And that's the beauty of it. We don't have to. Because scattered across our planet are other young people, canaries in the coal mine, heralding the approaching storm. And we're finding strength in one another, distributing the burden amongst hundreds of thousands, perhaps one day millions of people. That way, we can each carry a lighter load. Maybe, like Jenna, you've been told, hey, if you keep talking about climate change, people will stop inviting you to parties. Maybe, like Greta, adults have told you to chill out. Maybe, like Jie, you felt a great sense of responsibility and fear. Maybe, like Rachel, you felt isolated and guilty when you think about climate change. Maybe, like Zanaji, you found some hope. Maybe you've seen climate change in your own backyard. Maybe not. Maybe, like us, you're looking for community. A shelter from the storm. So, we here at Inherited are pleased to offer you an invitation. That's right. You're going to a party. Hey, Juliana, come on in. Come on. Georgia, whoa. What is this place? It's the Community Climate Dance Party. No freaking way. There are so many people here. Oh, and I love the plant decorations. I know. And since it's in our minds, we don't even have to socially distance or wear masks. And this dance floor? Wow. It's like a, a psychedelic rainbow disco. Right? The best part is that you're allowed to talk about your climate feelings here. Hopes, dreams, desires, the whole shebang. Are you sure? You won't walk away? What if I feel like depressed or scared? Those feelings are welcome too. But remember, you're not alone here. Everyone on this dance floor is here to share the burden. That's kind of awesome. Hell yeah, it is. Wanna dance? Yeah, let's do it. Inherited is a production of Critical Frequency and is produced by Georgia Wright and Juliana Bradley with help from Reka Murthy and Amy Westervelt. Thank you to our storytellers for this episode, Jenna Tapaldo, Sanaji Artis, Rachel Baker, and Gia Bastida. Music by Rafael Atias, Georgia Wright, and Storyblocks, and sounds from Storyblocks. Special thanks to Merlin's Pen Climate Grants and Critical Frequency. 
Find us at InheritedPod.com and follow us at InheritedPod on Instagram and Twitter. Listen to this episode and the rest of the season on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcast. And next week, the final episode of Inherited Pilot Season. See you then!